the NFL Combine is underway. And that means it's lying season. You can't trust anything anybody has to say. But there is one truth you need to know, especially if you love the Arizona Cardinals. And that truth is whatever Kyler Murray wants to get paid, you need to pay him. You don't have a choice. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. We've got a lot we're going to get into. We're going to have a little fun with some of the lies that we've heard already out of Indianapolis with a little bit of a BS meter on things that are coming out of the combine. We're going to keep you updated, obviously, in just a few minutes on the debut of James Harden in Philadelphia. But we start with some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, and that's in the form of quarterbacks. Now, I'm going to give you straight talk you need because a lot of people seem to have the wrong concept on whether or not you can pay your quarterback. I hear it all the time where people say, oh, you can't pay somebody. Once you pay him, you can't build a roster around him. And it's funny how we pick and choose when we care about that narrative. In fact, I had the glorious people at ESPN Stats and Information go back and do a little research for me. If you look at the last 10 Super Bowls, there have been a total of 20 quarterbacks uh, starting those. Obviously not 20 different people, but you've had 20 different starting quarterbacks. Ten of those took more than 10% of the salary cap. The other 10 took less. What's it mean? There's absolutely no proof that you can't pay your quarterback. So now you're the Arizona Cardinals and you're trying to figure out what to do with Kyler because Kyler Murray's not happy. So he deletes everything on his social media. You delete everything but Kyler on yours because you're the desperate part of this relationship saying, Kyler, please love me, right? But Kyler turns around and his agent says, hey, we want to get that bag. And a lot of fans will turn around and say, well, he's not worth it. Of course he is. Because quarterback is no different than any other business. If you are the only place in the entire world that sells Reese's peanut butter cups, you could charge more for them. If you have Reese's peanut butter cups and everybody else has some off-brand that isn't as good, you can charge even more for yours. See, this isn't about what Kyler Murray is worth. It's about the fact that there aren't any other quarterbacks out there for the Cardinals to take. That's the important part of this. When you start thinking about what you should pay Kyler Murray, you have to ask yourself what else is out there. The glorious war wins above replacement, right? What about play above replacement? Because let's be real. I checked out the ESPN.com article that's out there right now. You should check it out. That uh, outlines who's going to be starting at quarterback all across the NFL. Every single team who will be uh, starting week one of 2022. And I'm looking through this and I'm excited to see what everybody has to say. Field Yates did that article for us. And looking across as we project as a company who will start. And there were only a few changes. Only a few teams had a different starting quarterback. One of those was the Washington Commanders with Carson Wentz. Jimmy G with Pittsburgh. I mean, are we really in a situation where you think that more people will want to watch the Cardinals with Mitchell Trubisky as their quarterback than Kyler Murray? Now, don't tell me you're going to go in the draft. See, the combine is going to give us all sorts of reminder of what we have in the draft. And the answer this year in the draft is not much right now. I want to be really clear, too, Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo tonight on ESPN Radio. I want to be really clear. When I say there's not much at the quarterback position, I mean right now. Sure, you might be able to draft somebody, give him a couple years, let's see how he can play. I think Matt Corral, man, he's the easy quarterback to root for. The way he plays the game, fun to watch, right? So I look at somebody like Matt Corral and think, man, if he could have a little bit of time to get his bearings, to get his feet under him, figure out how to be a pro, maybe there'd be something there. Maybe we could see that sort of return. 
But you're not seeing that right away. So if you're Arizona, you're looking around and you're thinking, okay, well, there's not much in the draft. All right, there's not much in the draft. There's not much in free agency. Think about this. Now, some people will sit down and tell you, well, Kyler Murray stinks at the end of the season. Look at his win-loss record in September through November. He's 16-13-1. That's pretty good. December, January, he's 6-11. That's not so good. His touchdown-to-interception ratio dropped significantly at the end of the season. And everybody's going to want to turn it into, oh, well, he doesn't play well at the end of the year. Is it that? Or is it the fact that maybe his coaches get figured out? Maybe they suddenly become uh, easy to predict. Maybe it's a coaching issue. And if you're Arizona, you made a statement today when you decided to extend the contracts of Cliff Kingsbury and GM Steve Kime that you believe that the people that put the talent in the room are fine and you believe that the person that comes up with the game plan is talented at what he does. If that's the, if that's the thought process for Arizona, then you got to look at it and say, how do we make those two people that we just gave long-term deals to better? And the answer to making them better is not find a quarterback that's worse. Steve Kime, Arizona Cardinals GM, was asked about uh, his concern level for Kyler not playing for Arizona at their press conference at the Combine. This is what he said. I have not talked to them in a few days, uh, but there's always been current dialogue. Uh, the one thing I'll say is, is in regards to the statement, I know everybody's seen that. Um, I think it's an agent doing his job. Are you concerned at all if a contract doesn't get done this offseason, the repercussions it might have on the player going forward? No. No reason to believe that he would play this season if he didn't have any contract. No. Now that is significant to me because Steve Kime just very plainly said, no, I mean, we talk, but he's going to play. I'm not worried he's going to sit out. That's all the more reason that that's exactly what Kyler Murray has to do. This is his chance. His chance to go in and secure the bag right now. We've been saying it on this show. I'll say it all the way up until the draft. Our guys that work on the show behind the scenes, we've been yelling about it as we prep the show every day. Next year's quarterback draft class looks really stinking good. So if you're Kyler Murray, you're looking around and you're thinking, okay, what I don't want to do is play another year that could or could not be great. Maybe don't put myself into a fantastic position. And all of a sudden, then the Cardinals aren't really sure Baker Mayfield, that they know what they have Baker Mayfield. And suddenly they're thinking Baker Mayfield, that they're going to have to look in the draft. And then I become replaceable Baker Mayfield. Man, if you're Kyler Murray, your option right now is let's force this thing. Let's get a long-term deal done right now. And if you're the Cardinals, you don't have a choice. Everybody looks at their quarterback position through some rose-colored glasses. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit tonight because you got to start looking in the mirror with some level of truth. I've never hidden my Raiders fandom, and I talk about the Raiders all the time on different radio stations, and the number of times I've heard Raiders fans just absolutely certain that Derek Carr should be traded and Marcus Mariota should be given the starting quarterback gig, which is just a reminder of how blind we all become to mediocrity. Like, there's a difference between, between he's not Aaron Rodgers versus Wow, he's Andy Dalton. There's a whole difference in there. And we seem to all lose sight of where quarterbacks fall in that, pro- in that spectrum. Kyler Murray may not be Aaron Rodgers. Sure. He may not be an MVP. Sure. But he doesn't have to be an MVP. He doesn't have to be Aaron Rodgers. Right now, all Kyler Murray has to be is not Mitchell Trubisky. And guess what, Cardinals fans? It might make you uncomfortable to invest the money today, but if the player actually holds your feet to the fire and forces it, you're going to have to look in the mirror and you're going to have to decide, will I be as happy as a fan, an owner, 
a GM and a coach, if I'm looking across and I see Carson Wentz, Mitchell Trubisky as my quarterback, as I would if I see Kyler Murray? The answer to that question is squarely no. And as long as that answer is no, there is only one thing you can do if you're Arizona. Pay him, even if it makes you uncomfortable. That's some Straight Talk. Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. We'll get some insight from the Combine from one of our favorite NFL draft experts in the next hour of the show because the Combine is underway. Players are getting to work. Out and uh, Coaches and GMs are up in front of the microphone. The question is, can we believe anything they're telling us? You'll hear from a bunch of them next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Triple Eight say ESPN. I'm going to open the phone lines up tonight over the course of the show. Triple Eight say ESPN, 888-729-3776. I want to have a little fun. Uh, it's lion season, as we're going to continue to say throughout the course of the week with the NFL Combine going on. But I'm going to be the truth that you guys need. So if, if you've decided that your team should have a different starting quarterback, you've got it all figured out, you've got the quarterback situation rolled around in your head in a way that makes sense, you can call us, 888-SAY-ESPM, 888-729-3776. And uh, I'll, I'll tear it apart because I don't think we're going to see any of the movement anybody else thinks we're going to see. I think we're going to get a bunch of people back in the same jerseys we're used to seeing and a lot of you guys are going to be really disappointed and you know me like I'm a beacon of light I want everybody to be happy I want everybody to have a great season I just want people also to be real and and what happens every year is at the end of the season we all come up with these Madden like scenarios where suddenly we've come up with something we think is going to change our franchise and it never works out so I'm going to be the the trade blocker that you really need off of Madden in the meantime we're going to have a little bit of fun with a let's say a BS meter a truth meter here a combine edition of this. Uh, Devin, uh, our producer extraordinaire, Devin Kane, uh, you're going to help me out here, Devin. Let's let's uh, play a little sound from some of the people that spoke at the Combine today from different teams, and then we'll figure out whether or not we think this is real or we think that this is, in fact, all just a ruse. Are you ready, good sir? I'm ready. Are you ready? Oh, God, I, I was born ready. Let's go. All right. Let's start. Uh, we, you want to start with Gutekunst the, the, with the Packers? Yeah, there's no surprise that Aaron Rodgers, is. there's questions around if he's going to be back in Green Bay. Brian Gutekunst was asked... If the team has taken any trade uh, talks with Aaron Rodgers, and here's what he said. Not at all, Tom. Not at all. Not a single person. Now, I love that he's laughing a little bit at the end of that, Deb. Like, I feel like he's sort of like, you know, maybe putting one on us. But here's the shocking take. I don't think this is BS. I think they haven't heard from anybody. Uh, and, and the reason is, like, we haven't heard from Aaron Rodgers. So what's the point in putting all of this out there in a world where you can't trust any information to not get leaked? Like, if I thought that I was going to trade everybody to get Aaron Rodgers, I'm keeping that super quiet until I know exactly what Aaron Rodgers' intentions are, and then maybe I'll start to put it out there. But I don't need to call the, the Packers. Like, it, you know, if you think that your friend's about to break up with this girl, you can wait till the breakup actually happens before you ask her out. That's my logic on it, Dev. You following me? I'm following you. You want to move on to this next yeah, one? Yeah, we can go on to we can go on to the next one. All right, Frank Reich, Colts head coach. Obviously, Carson Wentz had a, had a rough go in Indy this past year. He had his ups and he had his downs. Listen to what Frank Wright says about his quarterback Carson Wentz, especially at the end here. You know, I, I believe in him. I, I stuck my neck out for him. You know, I stuck my neck out for him. So, um, you know, last year I was a big part of big part of that decision to get him here, and so um, you know I. I believe he's going to continue. I believe he's going to continue to have a lot of success at quarterback. That might be here. 
it might not be here. That decision has yet to be determined. Now that, right at the end, that's the BS in this. I'm going, bang, 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 bang. that is all kinds of, I mean, there's no way we're this deep into it and it's yet to be determined. The only thing yet to be determined is will somebody give up anything for Carson Wentz? Because the Colts are obviously trying to make a play to get as far away from that quarterback as possible. And the important part of what Coach Reich just said is the beginning. He did stick his neck out and he was wrong. I don't know how many times you can be wrong at the quarterback position and get away with it if you're the Colts. There's a lot of talent on this roster. There were expectations on this roster that they would be very good, and instead they blew it because they blew it when they came to their quarterback and they gave up a ton of equity to do it. So I spy all sorts of BS at the end of the statement and all sorts of truth at the beginning of the statement when it comes to the fact that Reich put his neck out on the line and was wrong. All right, next up we got Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy. Now this is not a player for player on Newton teams. This is potentially a new head coach. There's been a lot of rumblings that Sean Payton could be replacing Mike McCarthy, and he's just a placeholder. Mike McCarthy addressed those. I mean, it's a narrative I don't want to be a part of. Um, I don't think anybody want to be a part of it on on either side of the fence. You know, fairness to Sean, he's being asked the questions, but you know, nothing good comes out of that. Um, so. Uh, but I think you do need to understand um, that I, I get to spend a lot of time with Jerry, you know, both as the owner and as the GM. So um, in our conversations, you know, when we talk about the partnership between the head coach and the GM, you know, those are the conversations him and I have. So the strength of the partnership, what's in front of us, you know, short-term plan, long-term plan. Obviously, we got some big decisions here to make with our roster. So, I mean, he addressed it. Um, you know, we laughed about it and moved on. Man, I there there is so much BS happening when it comes to all of that. But also, I'm going to actually say a little bit of truth from McCarthy in how he's handling the situation. When you live in the 1% and you've got a dream job, it's very rare that you get the opportunity to do that without constantly hearing some sort of rumor about whatever's next for you. And that that's true whether you're in the music business and you know you think you're going to be on a tour and you're hearing rumors or heck whether you work at ESPN and you know you hear rumors about what's going to happen in the future. Like it is impossible to not at some point sit there and say, "Well, that's part of my reality now because I'm being asked questions about it." I think it's refreshing for McCarthy to at least acknowledge that he doesn't want to be a part of it, but it's real. I also think it's BS to think that he has any sort of security through any of it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going through a BS meter from the Combine. These are some of the, the best and brightest in the NFL that gave us statements that we're trying to read between the lines and figure out if there's any truth. Devin Kane, producer extraordinaire. Andy Reid spoke today. Uh, are we ready for it? Let, let's get a little Andy in here. This whole thing with Eric Bieniemy. um, that's been written, has gotten kind of fabricated. We, we were on vacation, and uh, and over the two weeks I came back, and all of a sudden it was that I didn't like Eric, and Eric didn't like me, and Pat Mahomes, and everybody else, and that's not the case. I mean, we all get along good, and and uh, um, I'm glad he's back with us and rolling. So um, I thought he potentially get a head coaching job, which I would have been happy with. That is not BS, and I'll tell you why. He didn't have to bring him back. I mean, as talented as Biennemi is, if we want to believe that anybody could step into that job, which is part of the narrative we use against Biennemi at times, 
then why would Andy Reid bring him back into the fold if he didn't need to? I think that that's actually true. Now, we're going to get a little New York Giants expertise in just a few minutes on the show from one of uh, somebody that covers the team better than anybody. But in the meantime, let's do this. Let's get a little bit of BS meter on Joe Shane, the Giants GM, when he talked about who's open for trading. We're still working through that, but I, I mean, I'm open to everything. Like whether it's, you know, again, trading player for player, you know, I'll listen to anybody if it's, it's, it's trading, you know, a couple players. Um, you know, I'm not going to say the entire roster, you know, we're open for business on the entire roster, but if um, anybody's going to call and, and they're interested in any of our players, I'll, I'll certainly listen. Uh, I'll let Devin, you are our resident Giants fan extraordinaire. You buying this? I am not buying it. I think this is a lot of <laughs> I think this is a lot of posturing um, to try to see what the value is for Saquon. There's been reports from various people that like he might be asking for a one, which I, I don't think any team in the right mind would would give a one for an injured Saquon Barkley right now. But at the end of the day, I think the Giants should strongly consider trading him for the betterment of, of the team. We see that, you know, good teams don't need that top tier running back if they can do it by committee. So I think it would be in their best interest. Do I think they're gonna do it? I don't. Yeah, I, I think they're open to all trade options, but also that doesn't mean that they're asking for realistic prices. Like, that, that's fine. They're fielding calls, which is what they should be doing, but then what? We'll get some expertise in a minute, but quick. David in Virginia calling the show. David, I said I would strike down trade rumors that people think could happen. What do you got for me, man? I would love to see Russell Wilson going to the Miami Dolphins. Now, realize I live in a town that Russell Wilson grew up, and I think he's a class act, but that's not the only reason. Number one, I'm not sold on Tua. I think he's a great kid. Uh, but look at his his stuff from college. It seemed like every time they're showing, hey, look how good he was, his wide receivers are wide open. That's not the way it is in the NFL. You have to be able to thread a needle. I'm not sure he can do it. I'm not sure he can stay healthy. Uh, also, Russell Wilson, I believe, is a leader. And we absolutely have to have a leader at quarterback, and I I'm not sold on Tua being a leader. Well, David, look, I, I appreciate the concept on that, but what are the Seahawks getting back? This is never happening because Pete Carroll is not a spring chicken. He's not sticking around for a rebuild. And there's nobody, like, if you don't believe in Tua, why would the Seahawks believe in Tua? So they're not taking him in exchange, and there's no drafted quarterback that's going to step in and make them better today. Pete Carroll's not in for a rebound, so there's no way that trade happens. We're going to get some expertise on whether a trade could be happening in New York. Coming up next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and as always, the ESPN app. To figure out what's real and what's not. And when it comes to new GMs, it's even more difficult because you're not sure if it's just part of their style and the way they answer questions or if it really means something. So we're going to try and get some insight on that on one of the biggest franchises in the NFL, the Giants, as everybody now is trying to figure out if Saquon Barkley is going to be traded. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. By the way, guys, you can call the show, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. I'm basically going to be Krampus on all of your trade dreams because I think everybody has these delusions of who their team's going to acquire to be their quarterback coming into this season, and none of it's going to happen. So I'm just going to I'm going to be here to be a voice of reality. In the meantime, we're going to be joined now by Jordan Ron on ESPN Giants reporter. Jordan, appreciate your time, man. We I, we all heard it. Yeah, uh, they, call that a, they call that a hater, by the way, you know yeah. what I mean? Well, you know what? This is what happens when, you know, you spend all day answering questions about the future of Derek Carr. I finally just I've, – I've ripped off the Band-Aid, and I'm just going to start being very <laughs> – You've had enough? You've reached you know? a boiling point? That's what it sounds like here. <laughs> sounds like I'm, you've I'm, had enough. You don't want to hear about Derek Carr going to Team X anymore. 
See, here's what happens. He gets traded to the Giants for Saquon. See how I did that? No, I, I mean, Jordan. Yeah, uh, uh, you're a pro. That's a pro's move right there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, when when the <laughs> league year, when the season starts this year, week one, is Saquon going to be a Giant? Man, that's a tough one. I mean, do they want to trade him? I think they do. do you, I mean, I've been talking to people around Indianapolis and talking about executives, GMs, like, do you know, the Price for Saquon, I mean, the, the, what would the Giants get in return is not very high. I mean, you're talking about fourth, fifth round pick. I mean, that's that's he's basically a, would be a one year rental at seven plus million dollars. So it's not that enticing. Uh, so I think in the Giants perfect world, they would like to trade him because they have salary cap problems. They're not going to win this year. I think they're, they're pretty well aware of that. Uh, so. But at the same time, is they're not going to get much in return. But if if I had to, you know, put my life on the line, I would say he's not going to be part of the Giants. But I'm not very confident on that. What does all of that mean for Daniel Jones? I mean, I understand your point that they're not going to be good and they can't compete. Uh, but they do have to figure out at some point if Daniel Jones is actually the answer. And taking away anything yeah. that could help Daniel Jones seems to be counterproductive. Yeah, I mean, yes. But the problem is, Saquon, they have to find a way to get money. Like, that's where the Giants are. They put themselves in a situation where they need to cut money. And Saquon's a seven-plus-million-dollar answer for that straight off the books if you can get rid of him. So that would be one of the answers. And if you talk about what's one of the most the easiest positions to fill uh, in regards to, you know, fill with uh, considerable talent or fill at least, uh, you know, somewhat competently running back is that position. You know, you, you know, they have nine draft picks, so you can draft a running back fairly high. You draft a running back in the third round, you can get a pretty good running back. You pair him with like a, a, a veteran, you know, running back who has a, a, you know, maybe it's a pass catcher instead of a runner. Like you can fill that position a lot easier than you can fill a lot of other positions. So I, I think that that's why that, that this is a, a, a serious option for the Giants because uh look they're four and thirteen roster and they're having to cut some of their or cut or get rid of some of their best players. So you have to be realistic. How good are they going to be? Right? Like what is like you can't sit there and say this is gonna be a great you know, this is gonna be a, a, a real competitor. They're four and thirteen and now have to cut some of their better players. That's where this organization is right now. It's pretty much a rebuild. If you look back at the decision to take Saquon at number two, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but uh, you look at it, is that the biggest draft mistake, you think, in, for, for modern Giants history? This isn't revisionist history. I was on that side at the beginning, drafting a run. Well, I, I, you know what? I, I say this all the time. One day I'm going to go to Saquon and be like, look, it never, like, my criticism never had anything to do with you. You know, you're you're a good, great player. Like, it has to do with the fact that we're going to be sitting there. We're, I'm going to have a conversation with Saquon in 20 years and be like, you know, you were the last running back to be drafted in the top, you know, in the, with a top two pick, and it's going to be 20 years down the line. Like, the game just doesn't. It, it, it's it's a it's a bad decision. Dave Gettleman mock positional value at the time. There's a there's a you know a gif of him sitting there pretending to pound the keyboards as he mocked you know, analytics and uh, positional value. And it, it was 
absurd at the time. And yeah, it, it set the Giants back. It, 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 then they followed up with Daniel Jones. It, it was just a, a series of just like almost comical moves like that. that and that's how you, you're in the, they're in the spot that they are. I mean, you have to be honest. It, it was, it was not the right pick for the franchise at the time. They were three and 13, right? So they basically, and with a 38 year old quarterback, 37 maybe at the time. So you needed to rebuild and they tried to, okay, we're going to try and slap it together one more time for Eli Manning. And that's why it was wrong. Not because it's nothing to do with really Saquon. The dude was an awesome player. I mean, amazing player, especially that rookie year when he was healthy. So like, he's a really good player, but that pick at that time was definitely a huge mistake for the Giants franchise. We're talking to Jordan Ron on ESPN, Giants reporter, Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. I, the more you're, you're talking, the more I feel like the, it, it only makes sense. I don't know why I'm suddenly seeing this clearly, Jordan, and maybe maybe I'm too conspiracy theorist right now, but if you're the Giants and you okay. know you're going to stink and you know that everything's going downhill, why not stick with Daniel Jones this year given the fact that next year's draft class is supposed to be much better at quarterback? So you run it into the ground. If Daniel Jones surprises you, then, hey, maybe you got your guy. If he doesn't, you're in a better draft position to get one next year. Are the Giants essentially tanking their way to next year? I don't say I would say they're tanking because they're, they, they, ha- they do have confidence that Daniel Jones is a good player, right? So they think he could be pretty good. They still have uh, Kenny Galladay, who, who's a good player. They still have Kadarius Toney, who they think should be a good player. I mean, so there's still some pieces to work with. They have to rebuild that offensive line, obviously. Uh, anyone, anybody who I'm getting mocked here, by the way, on, on the street of uh, Indianapolis, <laughs> as I as I talk to you, did you hear that? That's amazing. <laughs> by fans random, or by, by colleagues? Drunks. No, random drunkies here, like uh, <laughs> are like mocking everything I'm saying out here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, look, this team has a lot of rebuilding to do, and uh, look. That, that, what you just said is 100% why they're keeping Daniel Jones. Whether uh, They're not actively tanking. They still want to win. Like Joe Shane and Brian Dable, they, they said it yesterday. They're like, nobody wants to lose. We're not here to lose. We still want to win while we rebuild this team. But they, un- they understand the reality is that this team, basically, they won't use the word rebuild. Nobody likes to use that word. But, like, they essentially need to rebuild. I mean, you have to be honest. They were – like I said, four and thirteen team that now has to cut three or four of their best players in order to be under the salary cap and be able to operate this year. So I mean, that's where they are. You guys can follow them on Twitter at Jordan Ronon. As always, in, in, we appreciate your time. Go enjoy some shrimp cocktail sauce, man. We appreciate you hanging out with us. Thanks, thanks so much, brother. I'm being heckled outside <laughs> on the street of Indianapolis. The girl, the girl, the girl walked by and was like. Offensive line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sports fans are the best, Jordan. Enjoy yes. Indy, man. We appreciate you. Anytime, man. Speak soon. Oh, man, that was good stuff from Jordan. In the meantime, you guys can chime in. Dino in Minnesota. Dino, you've got a three-team trade is what I'm hearing. I love this. I love the complexity of it. Give me what you got. Like, what's the concept before I tear it apart? Okay, Fitz. We got Minnesota Vikings trading Kurt Cousin to Carolina Panthers for Sam Darnold, a first-round pick, and a third-round pick. And the Vikings then take that and trade Darnold and the hire of their first-round pick for the following year or the Carolina pick to the 49ers for Jimmy Garoppolo. 
Okay, so by all of that, what you end up with is the 49ers end up with Sam Darnold as their backup to Trey Lance that they have to pay him, what, $18.5 million. And, the, and through this process, Carolina ends up with Kirk Cousins as their starter for a bunch of money. And the Vikings end up – let me make sure I'm covering all this right. And the Vikings end up with Jimmy G, yep. right? Okay, so why do the Correct. Panthers want to spend that kind of money on Kirk Cousins? Because the Panthers are desperate. They need something. They need to make a big splash. They need to do something. And they failed at quarterback, so they need to do something. I know you're going to hit it with uh, Cousins and McCaffrey are going to probably be, what, 40% of their, their cap space? It'll be a lot. I'm not actually not afraid of the cap space, Dino. I appreciate the call. Like, that's a really well-thought-out trade. Now I'm going to rip it apart from all angles here. Number one, if you're Matt Rule, you are coaching for your job. Like, you, you don't know how you're going to stay employed, but you got one shot at staying employed. Is Kirk Cousins the person that you're going to bank that one shot on? I don't think so because you you can at least turn around and say, hey, we all screwed up the Sam Darnold thing, but you can buy yourself a little bit of patience if you don't move on from that now because there's no way to move on from it now. If you're the 49ers, is a draft pick on a stacked roster really worth taking on the $18.5 million or so dollars for Sam Darnold? I struggle to see that. And if you're the Vikings, you're getting Jimmy G. But what are you doing about the fact that he's not healthy? Also, is Jimmy G the guy you're going to put on the billboard that's going to make everybody suddenly massively excited to go see this, this iteration of the Vikings get to the Super Bowl? No. So this is a bunch of teams moving mediocre pieces around to try and stay mediocre. That doesn't feel like a good trade. Triple H say ESPN, but that's really well thought out, Dino. Triple H say ESPN, 888-729-3776. Give me your wild scenario, and I'll rip it apart. Plus, James Harden is making his debut in Philly tonight. We'll tell you what's going on, and you'll hear from the king. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. You can tweet me, at Jason Fitz. You can get me your trade scenarios there, too. In honor of the scouting combine, I'm letting you guys chime in. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. You give me your wild trade scenario, and uh, uh, I'll rip it apart. I'll tell you why it's not happening, because I think everybody's got this delusion of suddenly Russell Wilson's going to come play for their team, and he's not. Like, he's going to end up playing for the Seahawks. I'm pretty confident on that, which means I'll probably be wrong, by the way. James Harden making his Wells Fargo Center debut Uh, at this point and uh, a big night obviously as things have gone better and I'm the first to admit this like uh, things have gone better than I thought they would go right like I thought it would take a second to give us any sort of a sense of uh, rhythm between Embiid and Harden and I think a lot of us looked at the analytics portion of it and looked at the numbers of it and looked at sort of the the attitude of it and thought oh it's never gonna work and so far it's worked swimmingly now it should also be noted that they've essentially played two middle school defenses so far. Now, they have the Knicks tonight, which is, I don't know, like we'll call that a high school defense. I mean, they're playing one of the bigger disappointments in the NBA tonight, so I'm not sure how much we're going to get out of anything that we've seen so far. I still want to see what it looks like in an actual series against an actual good team where there's some actual defense being played. Like, that's that's the big thing for me is I, I want to see some level. But that being said, I don't want to take away any of the excitement. Like, to be fair, if it was going terribly so far, we would be ripping them apart and not saying, oh, it takes a second. 
I like to think that Spain and Fitz is usually a pretty, you know, reasonable, balanced show. Like, we try not to get too hot takey one way or the other, right? So, I would like to think that we would have had a little bit of patience. But to be real, if the Sixers came out and looked awful against bad teams, it would be the lead topic on first take every single day. So, I got to give them some credit in the fact that they've looked good even though they have played garbage defenses so far. They were – let's let's think of it as warm-up games, right? Like, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. It's all – it's all warm-up games. It gets much more difficult after tonight, though, because now you're talking about a run they're about to go on on Friday. They got the Cavs, then they got the Heat, then they got the Bulls, then they got the Nets. I mean, you're talking about a run. They get the Magic, then they get the Nugs. Like, I'm looking across this saying we're about to actually find out what all of it means for Philly. But today, right now in this moment, I fully expect that they'll be able to come out and roll. That's what they they should do anyway. Uh, and and obviously, all eyes will be on that. You can check that game out on ESPN. Uh, it's worth watching. Uh, obviously, also later tonight, we've got the uh, Suns taking on the Trailblazers. If you haven't seen the news, Devin Booker is now in the COVID-19 protocol. That means he will not be playing in tonight's game. So we'll keep an eye on what that means moving forward for uh, the Suns as they lose yet another important piece in a West that I'd say they have fair control over right now, but it just gives us another reason to continue to absolutely obsess over all things Grizzlies. We're also obsessed over LeBron and everything that's just gone, I mean, putrid. It's gone awful for the Lakers. This isn't bad anymore. This is a joke. This is like when you're like six hours into a show on Netflix, you're binge watching, and you're like, man, this show sucks. And you can't do anything about it because now you're too committed. That's where we are with the Lakers. But according to LeBron James, uh, they're not dead yet. This is what he said after the game last night. Until you stump me out, cut my head off, bury me 12 feet under, then I got a chance. So that's my confidence. As long as we got more games to play, we still have a chance. You know, I hate losing. I feel like poop right now. But tomorrow is a new day, and I'm going to be prepared and ready for, for the Clippers on Thursday. But that's just that's my mindset. That's just who I am. 27-34, and 34, they're in ninth place. And I understand he's got the fighter's mindset. What else is LeBron going to say in that situation? He certainly is not going to come around and say, yeah, this thing's a wash. Uh, but realistically, you know, I, I, I struggle to look at this and find any way that the Lakers turn it around in any way that this doesn't end up becoming the single greatest failure in Lakers history. That is where we are at this point with this roster. It's just been constructed. In about 30 minutes, we'll be joined by Tim Legler, though, our ESPN NBA analyst. I will ask him what he thinks of the Lakers, what he thinks of uh, the Sixers, and everything else in between. You don't want to miss that. We'll do that at about 8.30 Eastern. In the meantime, you guys are stacked up with some takes on my takes about all things NFL. Dan in Alabama, you've got a trade proposal for me. What do you got, man? I got one for you for the Steelers. I'm a big Steeler fan, Fitz. What do you got? <laughs> Let's trade Mason Rudolph for a half a keg of beer. Oh, see, now that's what I'm talking about, Dan. That's tough. I appreciate the call. That's tough for me to rip apart, but that's pretty easy in the sense that, like, half a keg of beer? Like, it can't be good beer for Mason Rudolph. Like, you're not giving up half a keg of good beer. You're giving up, like, maybe half a keg of flat beer, but realistically, you're way more likely to give up, like, a case of Zima. And if you don't know what Zima is, kids, Google it. It was a delight in the 90s. Came back a couple of years ago. Drop a Jolly Rancher in it. Gives a little bit of flavor. I, I get you, though. Mason Rudolph is part of why we're having this conversation, because the Steelers, the Steelers, one of the most important brands in the NFL have no clue what they're doing at the quarterback position in a year where there's no answers. 
All the more reason that you got no choice but to pay Kyler, which I said earlier, and Andrew in Phoenix disagrees with. Andrew, thanks for calling the show, man. What do you got? Yeah, man, I just have two quick points. One, um, I don't have the benefit of ESPN stats like you do, but I looked up um, the quarterback that had the highest cap hit for his team in the last 20 years has not won a Super Bowl. So why pay Kyler? Two, you know, being a prisoner of the moment, I will say, but when his last image that we have of Kyler Murray is him taking that sack against the Rams um, and throwing it away and getting that pick six and costing us, and you're going to go try to ask for, you know, a big payday? Come on, man. Like, you can't do that. And third, I guess the last point I have to make is that you're talking about the Cardinals. This is a team that drafted Josh Rosen with their first-round pick, and then the very next year gave up on him and traded for Kyler Murray. So who's to say we wouldn't do that again if the uh, – Next year's draft class is so stocked as you say it is, man. Okay, so Andrew, stick with me. Don't leave me for a second uh, because I want to follow up here uh, if we didn't lose him yet. Uh, Andrew, I would say this. Number one, you're right uh, when you pay somebody, but let me me go one step farther. Uh, I looked this up last year. Over the course of the last 10 years, Rob Gronkowski is the only player in the entire NFL that's ever been highest paid at his position and won a Super Bowl. So by your logic, you actually can't pay anybody. And I don't know if you're comfortable with that. But number two, let me ask you, do you think that the Cardinals would be better with Mitchell Trubisky as their quarterback? Once again, we're trying to tank to get the best round for next season. Like, yeah, he might help us out there. I mean, we've got the Rams in our division. They just won the Super Bowl. They're looking like they're going to run it back. Like, do we really have a shot? Why not if, like, we can get it better next year with a better draft pick? But well, thanks for the call, Andrew. Like, but here's what blows my mind. You're like, you're all the way back down to tank? Like, you're all the way back down to tank. And, and the point that you made about Josh Rosen, I've heard a few times. That's all the more reason Kyler should want to get paid right now. Because the organization has gone willy-nilly on a first-round uh, top quarterback draft. Like, why would you not, if you're Kyler, look around and say, no, nah, I'm going to secure myself. I've seen what you guys did in the past. Like, that's a reason that you can't trust what the Cardinals are going to do there. I... I Man, I, I really disagree with that concept. Oh, we'll keep breaking it down. Plus, we'll talk about the importance of the quarterback position with our next guest that's at the Combine, Spain and Fitz. The season of hope has begun, and every fan in the NFL is looking straight at Indianapolis as the reason that their team is going to get drastically better. You forgive all of the mistakes that have ever been made in the draft because it's a new regime or because this time they're going to get it right. You forgive all of the players that were improperly evaluated throughout the course of the process and suddenly you think this is the year where my team transcends and gets better. The question is, is it real? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Jason Fitz flying solo tonight, and as we try to break down what's real, the best thing we can do is get you information, not just opinion, but information on what we're seeing and what's happening in Indy. So to do that, we are joined by ESPN NFL Draft Analyst Matt Miller hanging out. Follow him on Twitter, at NFL Draft Scout, one of my favorites. And Matt, you just put out three minutes ago, before the workouts get started tomorrow, your top ten prospects and pro player comps. At the top of your list is Kyle Hamilton. Uh, or second on your list, I should say, is Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame. And this is always interesting to me because we're not supposed to value safeties, but he's an absolute stud. So what should teams at the top of the draft do when the transcendent talent might be a non-transcendent position? Man, Jason, number one, thanks for having me on. You know, I love you. I love your show. So this is awesome for me. Uh, so to, back to your question. Remember last year 
when it was like, you can't draft Kyle Pitts in the top five. He's a tight end. <laughs> and what did all of us people say? He's not a tight end. He's an offensive weapon. Like, get out of your little bubble that you live in where you got to put a label on everything and look at Kyle Pitts as an offensive weapon, as a pass catcher. I look at Kyle Hamilton as not just a safety, but a defensive weapon. Some of them can play low safety. Some of them can play single high safety. Some of them can match up against the great tight ends of the NFL, but at six foot four, 220 pounds, it also has the athletic ability to match up against slot receivers, to be a spy against mobile quarterbacks. So to me, he is an eraser type of player instead of, oh, we're just drafting a safety, which man, I would argue in today's NFL, a great safety is one of the most valuable positions on the field outside of pass rusher and a shutdown corner. So I think Kyle Hamilton, the football IQ, the leadership, I mean, run down the boxes. He checks every single one of them. So I do believe, especially in a draft without a quarterback in the top 10 or 15 or 20 overall in terms of rankings, we, you start to look at positional value with something that's a little bit more fluid this year. Yeah, and you mentioned the quarterbacks, and that'll take us straight to Malik Willis. And I, I, I'm lucky, man, because I work so much in college football. I, I've gotten to watch so much of these guys a lot over the last couple of years. But Malik Willis is one of those guys that there have been questions about his play overall in the field. Some things are great. Some things haven't been. But now we hear he's interviewing great at the Combine. Like, how much should an interview really matter compared to the body of work that there's tape on? I think because of the fact that, you know, we didn't have a combine last year and folks like myself and, and even scouts for teams have been at a disadvantage of not being able to be on the road as much. So I think for the interviews this year, they matter so much because that can be your first impression. And Malik was at the senior bowl. So teams did get, you know, some interaction with him there, but he's still continuing to meet formally and informally with people that he's not met with before. So I think the interviews are important. A lot of people want to sit at home and tweet about how the combine is not important because it's guys running in spandex. But it is important, especially in an era of COVID-19, where some of these players, this is their first time interacting with these decision makers. And even if it's a second interview, most of us don't get married after the first date. You like to court for a little while. And from Malik Willis, every opportunity to interview with the Washington Commanders, the Carolina Panthers, the New Orleans Saints, the Denver Broncos, the Pittsburgh Steelers, each opportunity is another chance for him to impress upon them that he is their guy, that he is their franchise quarterback. And I think also to that, we do love film. It's 90% of a grade on a player, if not more. I'm, I'm five foot 10 on a good day. I'm bigger than Malik Willis's best receiver last year at Liberty, right? That's not ideal. We don't want Malik Willis thrown to guys that look like me and you and field gates, although we're three amazing people, right? That's not your ideal in a you know, college football wide receiver room. So I do think that that is the other part of it is his tape is hard to evaluate because he's often the best player on the field and has very little help around him in terms of a supporting cast. Oh, that is such a great and, and I'll never forget not that anybody asked for story time with Fitz, but I'll never forget the first time I worked with Andrew Hawkins when he was with the ESPN and Hawk, you know, had a, a nice NFL career. And I walked in the room and I was like, oh, my God, I'm taller than Hawk is. And he played wide receiver in the NFL. Like We forget <laughs> right. some of that stuff. And, you know, it, it's it is interesting. I think it's funny, too. You mentioned the, the fact that COVID has been such an impact on it. And I almost forget that. Like when you being back around everybody in Indianapolis, how sort of different is the energy and vibe than it was pre-COVID, just knowing that everybody's back together in one spot? Oh, it's weird. And it, it's weird today was the first time that I had one of those things where it was like, 
oh, God, we're not wearing a mask anymore, you know? And, and I was walking through, like, the media workroom. And it's – I think it's one of those things you kind of just – you do forget a little bit that, it, hey, there used to be a time and place where we, you know, were wearing masks and we were socially distancing and we weren't able to travel to the combine, things like that. So it is – it has been great. You know, I think everybody's just trying to get into a rhythm. This is my first year here for ESPN, so I'm also trying to get into a rhythm of, like – meeting with editors and, you know, running down different story angles and hopping on radio and hopping on TV. So it, it has been amazing, though. It's, it's been such a good time. So talk to me a little bit about Kayvon Thibodeau uh, because I'm, we've heard the things about maybe he doesn't have the same motor as other guys, and I, I never know how to sort of quantify that. So when you look at Kayvon, what stands out to you? Well, I think the first thing that stands out is first step quickness. You know, uh, that that is the first thing for me. And I've been watching him since he was a freshman. I've been excited about scouting him for three years. And so we finally got there. And, and it does go back to first things first, the quickness is, is phenomenal. And that's one of my favorite things about him is that ability to win with that first step to stun guys with his quickness. I think the questions come up when you start to look at like, okay, maybe he's not as big as we thought, you know, and I don't, he didn't grow a whole lot after his freshman year, which isn't, you know, always a a thing that happens. Usually guys get a little bit bigger, but I'm anxious to see what he actually does measure in at. I think some of the question marks that, that we're all seeing and reasons he's falling in the draft. I'm a little bit skeptical because I am one of those idiots that listened when people were like, Hey, Justin Herbert's kind of weird and he's not a great leader. He should fall in the draft. (laughs) And now I'm like, why? Did I not just look at the fact that he's six foot five, two hundred thirty pounds, a great athlete with a huge arm, and he's a good kid who's never been in trouble? Like maybe we should have looked at that stuff. So when you start to hear things like, "Oh man, maybe he's not," he doesn't play with a ton of competitive fire. Jason, we've been saying for three years he was going to be a top five pick. If he throttled down to not get hurt at twenty or twenty one years old, I don't know that I can knock a guy for that. I don't know that I can look at your scouting report and be like oh, man, you just made some good business decisions. I'd be mad at you and move you down my big board for it. I still think he'll be a top five pick. I still think he has, you know, the ability to be a Von Miller-like player with his athleticism. Getting in the right situation is going to be helpful, but, man, I'm a, a big believer in his his ability. We're talking to ESPN NFL draft analyst Matt Miller. It's Payne and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. I'm going to go a little in the weeds on this one just because I love talking to you and your work, and I haven't seen enough written about Kenneth Walker III at this point, and I'm trying to figure out for a running back that was just so incredibly powerful but also fast and did so many things well in college and had so little help at times with Michigan State last year. Like, How does he translate in the pros to you? Where's a good fit for him? I think he translates immediately. I, I do. I think he is a day one starter and, and like good starter, right? Like not just like, oh, he's a starter. Like I, I think he could be a very good starter in the NFL as probably a second round pick. You know, he, he has it all. And this dude does not fumble. Like it didn't happen in college at all. And so I think that's the exciting aspect when you look at him. As far as fits, like I look at Mike McDaniel going to the Miami Dolphins and I'm praying that they pick Kenneth Walker this third because I think that's a great fit with they're going to bring some of that, you know, one-cut zone blocking scheme there. They've got, you know, some speed on the outside that's going to open things up in the box. I would love to see Tua get the help of an elite running back instead of this running back by committee. Ryan Fitzpatrick led the team in rushing two years ago. They've needed a running back for a while. So I think, I think Kenny Walker would be fantastic there. And, and he is a player that, you know, had such a great year, you know, as a transfer player to have the year that he had. There's, there's not a whole lot of, like, knocks on him. It's like he could be a little erratic as a runner at times. I think he tries to make too much happen every now and then. But, gosh, he's just so productive and, and has, 
the size that you want, the speed that you want, and, and definitely the ability to hold on to the football in crucial situations. I've, I've been prepping draft for a long time for the digital side, and I can tell you there's just few people out there on Twitter that are better followed than he is. At NFL Draft Scout to get out there and get all of his work. Matt Miller joining us. Matt, appreciate your time, my friend. Enjoy Indianapolis. Have a great time out there. Thanks, buddy. I will. Uh, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. You can say big. Bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. I'm not sure there's a more overhyped coach in all of sports than Matt LaFleur. I'm going to tell you why next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sometimes in the process of evaluation, we fall in love with different players and coaches And I just sit here pulling my hair out trying to figure out why. And today was another example of why not only are we overhyping Matt LaFleur, but I'm left to wonder why the guy even has a job. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And I know everybody's going to yell at me and say I've lost my mind because Matt LaFleur is constantly in Coach of the Year conversation. For what? At at what point? What have we seen that gives us any proof of concept that Matt LaFleur actually knows what he's doing as a coach. Now, you could say, well, look at the win-loss record, and I would tell you just like wins-losses aren't a quarterback stat, I believe that wins-losses are a bloviated stat when it comes to coaches that are coaching with Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I mean, yes, you could turn around and say, well, you know, he's partly the reason that Aaron Rodgers is an MVP. Uh, Is he? I mean, we've seen Aaron Rodgers have a lot of success with a lot of coaches. And now we have no idea what we're going to see from Aaron Rodgers moving forward. And there are being, and this is a quote, tactful when it comes to approaching Aaron Rodgers with his future, about his future with the team. In fact, LaFleur was asked today at the Combine about his communication with Aaron Rodgers, and this is what he said. Yeah, you, you always want to be respectful because I'm, I know it's a lot to take on. He's got a lot to think about, and um, certainly I, I'm making sure that I consistently – uh, communicate with him, but um, also want to be respectful of of his time and and the process that he has to go through. I mean, that just drives me crazy. Are we really at that spot? Like nobody can even be real about the fact that yeah, he's got his process he's going to go through. We need answers by a certain time. Everybody's so afraid of Aaron Rodgers that they want to make sure that he gets all the space and time he needs. But all this makes me do is sit there and yell, Matt, what are you doing? Like, look at Matt LaFleur from a different lens for just a second. That lens is a coach that has a Hall of Fame quarterback, right? A coach that has an MVP quarterback. A coach that's won a bunch of games because of that quarterback. But he's also the same coach that decided to draft Jordan Love. Now, when he decided to draft Jordan Love in the first round of the draft, what they were telling you as an organization and he was telling you as a coach is we are ready to hitch our wagons to somebody else. Fine. Okay, Uh, this isn't even about the way that all went down. Let me be clear. I'm not rehashing everything that went down between Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. My question is, what's happened since between the Green Bay Packers, Matt LaFleur, and Jordan Love? I mean, you're this great wonderkin coach. You're the smartest kid on the block. You go out and you draft this quarterback because he's going to be your future. And now you're desperately begging Aaron Rodgers to do whatever it takes to keep him because you know your quarterback's not ready. We've talked to a bunch of different insiders. We've heard this over and over over the last six months that the Packers as an organization are not comfortable with Jordan Love if he becomes the quarterback. Really? I mean, whose fault is that? 
It's either the fault of Gutekunst and Brian Gutekunst, the GM, and Matt LaFleur, the coach, for who they drafted, or it's the fault for Matt LaFleur, the coach, for the way that he's developed this young quarterback. Either way, there has to be some fault somewhere, right? And now we turn around and say, oh, but they don't want to pressure Aaron Rodgers into doing anything he's not ready to do. They want to give him all the time that he could possibly need. Now, I understand. In some instances, that's just reality. If you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you got to step back and you got to say, hey, we're going to give Tom Brady all the space that he needs because you got no other option. If you're the Pittsburgh Steelers last year looking at Big Ben, hey, we're going to give him all the time he needs because you got no other option. You can go down the list. I mean, think about how the Saints handled Drew Brees because they knew they didn't have any other set options. But if the Packers have no other option, that's nobody's fault but the Packers. If Jordan Love's not ready to play, that's nobody's fault but Matt LaFleur. And is it not fair at some point to look at the track record of a coach but then ask yourself who his quarterback was? I had the opportunity years ago when I was still touring in music. I was playing a corporate event. It was the band Perry. We were playing a corporate event, and it was at the Ryman, I believe, uh, in Nashville. And uh, at, at the time, Herm Edwards, uh, ESPN employee at the time, uh, Coach Edwards uh, was there, and Herm uh, was doing like a speech, a great speech for this company. It was a really smart speech about how you make sure everybody on the team feels value in the role that they play because your Tom Brady can't be the best Tom Brady he is unless the center in front of him is the best center he can be. And uh, really about making sure everybody on a team feels value in a team. Really brilliantly done. I watched Herm speak, and I, like everybody else in the crowd, was enthralled. And uh, typical to my life at that point. At that point, I'm touring musician with a little podcast trying to make it in sports. And you know, I'm sitting down with Herm afterwards, and we're just – shooting the you-know-what in the uh, in the green room after, and we're just talking, and, you know, I, I was wearing a Raiders something, and he's like, oh, you're a Raiders fan. And so we were laughing and chopping it up. And Herm looked at me, and he's like, always remember one thing. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a coach. Right? That's just simple. If you have a quarterback, your coach is going to look brilliant. And you think about the way we were talking earlier with the Cardinals and the need for them to do whatever it takes to keep Kyler Murray because I don't think we really know. I mean, you, you don't know who a coach is until you see them scrape the bottom of the barrel with the coaching, uh, with the quarterback position. It's fair to look at Bill Belichick and say part of the reason he gets the hype that he gets isn't just all of the wins, not even just the time with Brady. It's that Matt Castle was able to win a bunch of games with him, right? So you can say, oh, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Now we're sitting here saying Mac Jones is going to be the future because they're developing him the right way. All of these things give you confidence in your coach because that confidence was earned by having a high-level quarterback. All right. If you don't have confidence in your coach, it's likely because they never had somebody behind center you could trust. With Matt LaFleur, we've never seen anything other than greatness at the position. We've never seen Matt LaFleur have to sit back and say, wait, who's starting this week? We've never seen Matt LaFleur have to figure out if $18.5 million for Sam Darnold will save his job. Instead, we've anointed him as some great coach, and we've forgiven massive errors. Any other coach in any other franchise that takes a quarterback, take Aaron Rodgers out of the equation, takes a quarterback in year one, or, or sorry, in round one, takes that quarterback in the first round, and then turns around with that quarterback and three years in, isn't ready to have that quarterback play, man, that coach is getting destroyed. That coach is getting destroyed by the fans, by the front office, and that coach is on the hot seat. We've forgiven that from Matt LaFleur because we are in love with Aaron Rodgers. 
But if Aaron Rodgers doesn't play this year for the Green Bay Packers, and if they're going to give him all this time, and they're going to be tactful, and they're going to bow to every need that Aaron has when he stands up and tries to make any sense of a meritocracy in a locker room, when Matt LaFleur tries to stand up and say, everybody here is going to earn it, everyone's going to laugh at that, right? And there's going to be real questions to answer about why your quarterback, Jordan Love, isn't ready to earn anything because it would be the coach that failed him. Tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast. Gets you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily available wherever you get your podcasts. Matt LaFleur is not going anywhere. I know that. You know that. We all know that. But the perspective on Matt LaFleur is going to change drastically if Jordan Love comes out and stinks, and it should. Coming up next, how does James Harden change the Sixers? We'll ask Tim Legler when he joins us next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, hanging out with you on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. I'm Jason Fitz flying solo. Big night in the NBA. James Harden making his debut at home for the 76ers. He's got 14 so far, but that's not helping. Philly trails the the, uh, Knicks by 12 with about 540 to go in the second. Let's get some insight on all things NBA from one of our favorites, Tim Legler, joining us, ESPN NBA analyst. Tim, big night, obviously, as Harden makes his debut in Philly for the Sixers. But I guess from a player's standpoint, how long, how much do you have to see from Embiid and Harden together before you can step back and say, yeah, they got it all figured out and they know who they are together? I think for me, I'm going to need to see them do it against better defensive teams than what they've done uh, to this point and then who they've played in these first two games. Um, look, it's obviously seems like it's been a seamless integration to this point. Like normally you add a ball dominant guard to any situation and it's going to be an adjustment period for people. It really hasn't been other than maybe Tobias Harris, who is not touching the ball as much. And he's struggled these, these couple of games, but, and beads looks spectacular. Harden's done his thing. Tyrese Maxey, who I was worried about it affecting looks great. So the integration has happened quickly offensively. It looks like they've played together a long time. So that's that's pretty positive for them because I think it's the most powerful offensive duo we have in the league. So now it's can you do this when you play some of the heavyweight teams, some of the real contenders, which they haven't seen yet. And they're not going to see one tonight in the Knicks either. So it might take a little bit more time before you go, okay, there's really no answer for what these two guys bring to the table. I just need to see better personnel go against them, better scheme, better team in general. You know, we always talk about playoff basketball and how it's all about matchups and adjustments. And I keep thinking about a team like Milwaukee that doesn't get a lot of attention this year. Should we be more hyped on Milwaukee going into the playoffs? Well, I think that they've been the team that's, and it's like last year really, because they had, couple years of failures in the postseason after being a number one seed. I think last year they were very much under the radar. They had some injuries throughout the year. They didn't care that no one talked about them, and they ended up winning a championship. They're kind of in the same boat because there's been certainly more interesting storylines, and that's what we gravitate toward, which what went on with Philly and Brooklyn all year, obviously, and, and with Simmons sitting out with the issues with Harden and Kyrie in Brooklyn, that they dominated the talk. Look at the Western Conference, the year that Phoenix has had, Golden State getting Clay Thompson back. Um, you've got the Memphis Grizzlies, one, been one of the best stories in the league. So there's just been better storylines, and Milwaukee just looks up, and they're cruising along, and the playoffs are around the corner. And they absolutely are a team that can get to the finals. Like No one should be surprised if the Milwaukee Bucks end up 
back in the finals again, uh, it's just going to be a much more difficult road because of what Philly has done. I think Brooklyn ultimately could be better. That could be the best version of of this experiment you know, that they started last year. Could be after Ben Simmons comes back and they've incorporated two other starters with Drummond and Curry. You're going to get KD back. You know, eventually Kyrie is going to, I think, play every night. So the the Nets actually could be better after the Harden trade. Now, the Heat are really, really good, maybe the best defensive team in the league. So the East is just loaded, and that's why it's going to be a tougher road. But Milwaukee absolutely can look any of those teams in the eye. We're talking ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler. You mentioned the Grizzlies, which opens up the can of worms of hype because we're all talking about the Grizzlies more. I feel like I've heard the word Grizzlies more in the last three days than I have in the last three years, Tim. So, like, how legit are they when you look at the West overall and their ability to get through the West to the NBA Finals? Yeah, listen, man, they're going to give anybody fits out there. They're 3-1 they're and one this year against Phoenix and Golden State, and they've got two more games against those teams, one each. So, They've played well against the best teams, and they obviously have a superstar right now in, in John Moran, who, you know, we knew coming into the year this guy was pretty special. But what he's been doing lately, I mean, my goodness, if, if you're not watching John Morant right now and you're an NBA fan, you're really missing the boat. You better figure out a way to get some eyes on him because you, he's doing something so spectacular every night. He's almost like a combination of Allen Iverson, Kyrie Irving, and Russell Westbrook in one body. Um, with what he's doing right now. That team is fun to play. They're cocky. They're young. They don't fear anybody. They actually think they've got Golden State's number. Um, So they're a very dangerous team. When you have a guy on your team that every night can be the best player on the floor, and they have one of those in John Morant, you've got a serious chance. You know, they're connected. They play both ends of the floor. Uh, they they are very well coached. Memphis is legit, and they really are. And I would not be surprised whatsoever. You know, they win a first round series. They're going to get Phoenix or Golden State in the second round. Do not be shocked if Memphis ended up winning that series, or certainly you know took one of those teams seven games. I think they're that good. I mean, the Warriors, it felt like a month ago we were all right in the middle of the hype train. Now they've lost six of their last eight. Obviously, injury a part of that. But when you look at the Warriors, how concerned are you? Yeah, I'm starting to get concerned mainly because I'm starting to wonder if Draymond Green's back is going to be a problem the rest of the year. I mean, when he first went out, we thought it was going to be a couple of weeks. You know, he's well over a month out, and they're talking about another, you know, I think, what, maybe a week ago? He said three, four weeks. I mean, you're you're now going to get to the point he's going to have maybe eight, ten games left at most at the end of the regular season. And and that is if he comes back then. When you're talking about a back injury, I mean, you think sometimes – you, know, you might need to take the rest of the year off and come back next season. So I'm concerned because Draymond Green is as important to the Golden State Warriors as any of these other star players that have missed time are. Because we're always talking about, oh, when AD comes back, you know, when KD comes back, you know, Jamal Murray in Denver. Like, we're constantly doing that. Kawhi Leonard. Like, there's all these star players, and we're always waiting, you know, and talking about those teams um, relative to that star player coming back. It's no different with Draymond Green. What he does defensively, his communication, and most importantly, I think, is his IQ. They, they have some bad possessions now when you watch them. I think too many guys are empowered. The ball ends up in weird places in guys' hands that shouldn't at certain times. And Draymond Green is much more selective in where that ball goes. And their offense hums when he's on the floor. He makes sure of it. He makes everybody better. So, you know, if he comes back and he does have eight, ten games, okay, they should be okay. And Clay will be even better because we'll have more time under. But if Draymond Green, for some reason, that back keeps him out, yeah, Golden State's in trouble, right? They have looked awful lately. 
they're, they're not stopping anybody, and I think that they've had, you know, their offensive possessions leave a lot to be desired from what we saw earlier in the year. So it's, I'm definitely genuinely concerned about them, and it really relates to Draymond Green's back. Speaking of awful, Tim, uh, I feel like we're not allowed to talk NBA without at least mentioning the Lakers and LeBron. And he said unless he's 12 feet under, he and the Lakers always have a shot. It doesn't look like it most nights. What's gone wrong with the Lakers? Man, oh, man. Well, it's roster construction, I think, first and foremost. I, I think they went all in on a bunch of veteran guys. Um, and the veteran team like this is really not going to – put a lot of emphasis on the regular season. So when you come out there every night and the West is really, really good, and even there's more there's more legitimately good teams in the East, you know, when you come out to play those teams and you're not in the mindset that this is something to prove tonight, you that's that's part of the problem. I think there's a lack there's a complacency and a lack of urgency with that team. I think they also don't really fit all that well together. And and we didn't know that. When they got Westbrook I questioned it immediately. I was w- wondering how that was going to work out. But at the same time, I gave LeBron James the benefit of the doubt because of his ability to control the game and make guys better. Well, that hasn't really worked out at all. Russell Westbrook at no point has looked like he was in rhythm or even enjoying himself very much. Uh, it's been a long, long year for him. And it's a drain on, I think, LeBron as a result. His body language isn't very good. So it's it's combination of those things. And then the final piece is I just think they're a team that, that quits when they get adversity in a the game. They just don't have the collective will to fight through a bad stretch in a game. You know, they, their turnovers on offense leads to head hanging, shoulders dropping, and jogging back on defense. So they compound the problem. They don't, they don't walk to the bench connected, talking to each other, and let's figure out how to come out of this timeout and make an adjustment adjustment to make a run you watch them when they go to the bench when it's a bad stretch against them and there's a timeout called those guys don't even speak to each other walking off the court it's just a it's a bad environment it seems like there's a heavy air in that locker room and i guess they're just waiting for anthony davis to see if he can be the biggest band-aid of all time and fix all of these problems with his sheer greatness um i, I think they're gonna have a problem they'll they'll, they'll make the play in i would not be shocked if they got bounced in the play in and certainly if they survived that and you get Phoenix, Golden State, or Memphis in the first round, I don't think they're winning that series. Man, if AD comes in and suddenly turns this thing around, there's going to be the stuff of legends. Legs, we always appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much for the insight. Thanks for hanging out with me. Anytime. It's my pleasure. Hanging out's kind of an important way to put it because that's what the 76ers are doing tonight. They're not really playing basketball. They're just hanging out with New York. The Knicks beating Philly 60-47. to It's a defense optional sort of night for Philly. Uh, but there, there have been for the first time for James Harden to be at home. He right now, 6-9, uh, 17 minutes, 17 points. Big big night for Harden. So that's at least something. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Now, it's the combine. And since it's the combine and everybody's got their eye on the draft and everybody's thinking about ways their teams are going to get better, I've been shouting down your favorite team's way that they're going to acquire a quarterback. So 888-SAY-ESPN. 888-729-3776. Before we get out, I want you guys to get in on the fun. You can call 888-729-3776. Tell me what your weirder dream scenario is that gets your team favorite quarterback and uh, or a new quarterback, and I'll rip it apart. That's uh, part of what we're doing. And part of the reason we're doing that is one quarterback that everybody seems to think their team is going to trade for is not going to be traded, and the coach said so today. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. I want to be clear. I've done it too. Treated the offseason like it was Madden. 
And we just watched the Rams do it. And when you watch one team do it, all of a sudden you think, oh, this is how everybody's going to do business moving forward. And you come up with these magical trade scenarios where suddenly another team's going to give you unprecedented value for somebody you don't value as a fan. And in return, your franchise is going to get drastically better. Problem is, it just doesn't work that way. And all of this hope that you have for a trade, not going to happen. Spade and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. You guys can chime in, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. You can go ahead, give me the wild trade scenario that you've got in your head for how your team's going to get a better quarterback, and I'll destroy it. And part of that comes because uh, so many teams and so many fans right now are saying, oh, well, Russ wants to play here. We're going to get Russell Wilson. In fact, Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN NFL front office insider, was on ESPN radio earlier today and said the Seahawks should trade him. They're the fourth best team in the NFC West. If I was them, I would have Pete Carroll, John Schneider rebuild this team, and it would start with as many good picks as I could get for Russell Wilson. How many picks do you think that is? You know, I think it's at least two ones when you look at what you know Matt Stafford went for. Russell Wilson's a more accomplished player the best Stafford, and I would give up at least two ones to get Russell Wilson. And the teams I would look at would be the Washington Commanders, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the New Orleans Saints, three really good teams that need a quarterback. So here's the problem with that logic. Everything's right that he's saying about, you know, I'd have no problem, by the way. The Washington Commanders give up two first-round picks for Russell Wilson. I got no problem with that. That's a great idea. My problem is, why would Pete Carroll want to do that? Pete Carroll, when the NFL season starts, he's 70 right now. He'll be 71 when the NFL season starts. Do we think that Pete Carroll's in rebuild mode? Like he's in the let's start a three- or four-year plan that gets us back to where we've been mode? Or is he in win-now mode? That's what we always seem to do when we start talking about these trade opportunities is we rarely think about both sides of the equation. How does it benefit both sides? How do both sides feel like they got a steal? Because that's what it takes. And, in fact, Pete Carroll said today at the Combine that the Seahawks have, quote, no intention of trading Russell Wilson. Now, I realize it's Lions season, so everybody's going to say that, uh, uh, that, that that's all that he's full of it. But, you know, he's, and he did say, quote, at this time of year, there's conversations about everybody. We're talking about everybody, and there's com- commonplace for us to have conversations with team about all of the players, particularly marquee players, and that's not changed. It's been the same every year we've been here. So it's the same as it's been. We have no intention of making any move there. So you can look at it and say, oh, well, he's leaving the door open. Or you can look at it and say, for what? Like, what are the Seahawks going to get out of this year's draft that will make them better? The answer to that is nothing at the quarterback position. And do we believe that they can take a serious downgrade at the quarterback position and still be competitive? That's the difficult part of it. Because I would argue that most of these conversations are serious downgrades. Now, you guys can chime in with some of your favorite trade scenarios. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Mike and Reno, what you got, man? What's your trade scenario? All right, well, as a Minnesota Vikings fan, what I would love to see is Russell Wilson for Kirk Cousins and Daniil Hunter. Okay, now, Daniil so you- still got some potential. Money might work out a little easier. I mean, Daniil's a, a, a good player. I don't think that that's a terrible – that's actually one of the smarter trades. Thanks for the call, Mike, that, that we've seen tonight uh, in, in concept. I think that Daniil's actually a nice little addition to it. I'm not sure that's enough to fix uh, their defense, particularly the fact that they've been horrid against the run for a while. But Kirk Cousins is somebody the Vikings fans are eager to get out of, and I understand why Vikings fans are uncomfortable with the amount of money that Kirk gets every year. 
But realistically, uh, do you think that Kirk – if we're going to argue that Russell Wilson is the, you know, whatever, third or fourth best quarterback in his own division, does that change with Kirk Cousins? So suddenly you get those two pieces. Does that put you further ahead? I, I don't think so. Jeff and Philly, what do you got, man? What's your trade best scenario? quarterback in fucking division? Oh, I think we I think we had Jeff and we lost Jeff because might have heard some naughty language. Jeff might have heard some naughty language. I'm not sure if we still have him, but uh, uh, Jeff, if we do, you guys can tell me. If we do, we'll we'll put Jeff back up and hope that. Okay, Jeff just didn't know it was on the air and and said said a naughty word. Said a naughty word, Jeff. Keeping the guys uh, active behind the board, doing a good job, making sure that stuff doesn't make it to air. Uh, the the whole point of this is is real for everybody because what you want right now, and I get it, what you want is you want your favorite team to get better. And the easiest way to do that is to feel like you have a quarterback. The problem is there's only two ways to get a quarterback. Somebody gives one up or you draft one. And for every Joe Burrow, there's a Jamarcus Russell, right? For every Kyler Murray, there's a Josh Rosen. And if you start looking up and down the list at draft failures year in and year out, there was a team that decided Mitchell Trubisky was the right thing to do. Sorry, Sarah. And now, Mitchell Trubisky, years later, might actually be one of the bigger names on the free agent market. There was a time when Marcus Mariota was the second overall pick in the draft. Jameis Winston was supposed to be a franchise saver. And instead, those two franchises, the the Buccaneers and Titans respectively, eventually gave up on those players. Right? Because nothing in the draft is ever sure. Now, you can look at that as half glass full. And a lot of years I do that. That's why I love the draft, because a lot of years you can look at the half glass, uh, the glass half full aspect of this and say, man, I love any concept where my team can get that guy in the draft and become better, where I can find my Joe Burrow. But realistically, this year in the draft is even less sure than most years. So is this the year you really want to take the glass and put anything in it? I don't think so. Paul in Connecticut. Thanks for calling the show, man. Paul, what do you got? Hey, good evening. Uh, so, Arizona Cardinals fan here. So, I'm going to say Kyler Murray, a number second round and a third round pick this year to the Seattle Seahawks for Russell Wilson. The reason I say this can work is they'll Seattle has a quarterback still on a rookie deal for two more years. They can actually extend him and save money under Russell Wilson. But at some point, you're, I mean, you're talking about a Cardinals-Seahawks trade. Like, that that just doesn't happen. I mean, you want as a Cardinals fan, do you want to have to take on Kyler Murray? We lost him. We, we lost him. Uh, th- that, that to me is, is absolutely mad. I, I can't imagine that. I mean, I'm stunned to even hear that as a suggestion. Because you're talking about two division rivals taking each other on constantly. So if you're the Seahawks, there is zero chance you're moving Russell Wilson in the same division where he can make anything difficult for you right now. You're certainly not going to make the Cardinals better today. If you're the Cardinals, you're not going to make the Seahawks younger at the quarterback position, realizing that you might have Russell Wilson for a year or two, but when that's done, what do you have? I mean, when even if you get five years out of Russ, you're trading a quarterback that's a decade younger. You'd be facing Kyler Murray for the entirety of his career. Worst case scenario in that is you're a Cardinals fan and you spend the entire time, you spend a generation getting your butt beat by Kyler Murray. You don't want to take that chance. 
Nobody in that organization wants to take that chance, and certainly ownership wouldn't want to take that chance, even if the front offices wanted to do that deal. I can't imagine anybody in ownership signing off on an in-division trade of quarterbacks that are both at such a high level. There's no chance. It's the hard part. You put the shoes on the other foot. The hardest part to figure out on the shoes on the other foot is how does it benefit the other team in such a way that they would want to give up enough to make my team better? It's a tough conversation, and most importantly, it's a tough realization that a lot of times when you look around the quarterback room, what you're really going to find out is your favorite team is stuck. That's why still, two hours later, Kyler Murray still needs to get paid. Kyler's going to join Freddie and Fitzsimmons next. Thanks for hanging out with Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.